0: text tonight was found in Luke chapter 16, and we've been in over a year's study of our statement of faith. And we come now to the 19th tenet of our statement of faith, of death and the soul. What does the scripture teach, and what do we believe about death and the soul of man? Our statement of faith says, The bodies of men after death return to dust, but their spirits return immediately to God, the righteous to rest with him, the wicked to be reserved under darkness in the judgment. At the last day, the bodies of all the dead, both just and unjust, will be raised. When you speak with people, there are many different theories about what happens to a person when they cease to be. There's even difference of opinion about what constitutes death. The Bible's the only sure word of authority on anything. So we must go to the scriptures to see what it says. Genesis chapter 3, verse 19, for example, the first mention God told the man and the woman when they sinned in the garden In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and into dust thou wilt return. We will discuss what does the scripture say about the soul and about death and eternal life. What happens to the lost? What happens to the saved? May the Lord bless this word. Our gracious Heavenly Father, this is your word. And Lord, we realize it doesn't matter what our opinion is, that your word is not based on our opinion, but you've given us a sure word, a map, a guide, your your philosophy, your statement on all things. And so I pray, Lord, that... This would be comforting to the saved, and I pray to those who are outside of Christ that this very discussion, this message on death and the soul would cause those who are not saved to consider their standing, their state. May we all ask ourselves the question, what would happen if I were to leave this world tonight? We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The text that was read there in Luke chapter 16 is in a series of parables that our Lord gives in a gospel presentation. He, what precedes this, he gives the parable of the, 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 the prodigal son, the, the son who left and asked for his inheritance and the older son who stayed. He talks about the parable of the tower. Who begins to build a tower who doesn't, first of all, sit down and consider the cost and uh, think about what he's, he's getting into. Uh, The parable of the king going to war. No king would wage war without thinking about does we have the equipment, the military, what is the the, the cost going to be, and uh, in so many ways, and he he gives that. He he gives the parable of the savorless salt. If a salt has lost its savor, what is it good for? It's good for nothing. The parable of the lost coin, which the woman who lost a coin out of her, Her wedding um, necklace, which the wealth that she had, her dowry, was often placed in that necklace. And if one of those were left, that was a a major part of uh, her money. And she would scour the house and look for it. It was so precious. And the whole point of all these parables is to... Get men to think about their standing, their state. What would happen to them? Are they as urgent about their soul as they are about their possessions? The, the graciousness, the goodness of God in saving the lost. The, the father who receives his son when he comes back home. And in light of all that, he comes to this parable in uh, chapter 16. About two men, obviously, were well known to his hearers. These are Jewish men, both of them. The Jewish background, uh, the rich man, as well as the, the the poor man, whose name is, by the way, the rich man's name is not given. Uh, Lazarus' name is given, which shows us that uh, in the eternal life, death is the great leveler, isn't it? It doesn't matter who is rich and famous in this life. None of that matters in the life to come. That's not to say that things did not matter and that there's not status and standing in the life to come, but what you did as far as your. Uh, income or fame or any of that kind of thing is is not even considered in the life to come this wealthy man who lived luxuriously who ate the finest had out right outside his gates a man who begged every day for for his food and he says that it came to pass the beggar died and uh, that's the mention of death and i think in just a moment we'll consider what is death have you ever thought what is the biblical definition of death this tenet of our statement of faith is what we believe about death and the soul. Well, what then is death? We'll answer that in just a moment. But here we know that the, the beggar died, and his name was Lazarus. He was, came to pass when he died. He was carried by the angels. And so we see several comforting things. This message is not a message particular on the, the blessedness of the saved or the torments of the lost, although that must be considered when we consider this teaching. What we do see here are some comforting things that the angels came for Lazarus. There was a comfort in the very process of the homegoing of a saint of God. And by the way, this man was a saint. His his again, his standing, his social standing, his income didn't matter what his status as far as his soul was. There's an outward Consideration of men with these bodies, and then there's an inward consideration of the soul, which is eternal. He died; he was carried by angels into Abraham's bosom. And that phrase, to the, to the Jewish mind, when you said the bosom of Abraham, you've heard spirituals and songs that mention that. To the Jewish mindset, uh, we might use it in the South, as we use so many figures of speech. Uh, you know, we might say that was just heaven. Uh, we might say he died and went to heaven, thinking it was so good. He felt like he died and went to heaven. That phrase, Abraham's bosom, pictured to the Jewish minds that everything good, everything wonderful, they would use that phrase, that was the height that you could get when you said to be carried to Abraham's bosom. And he uses that, that familiar term to them, all things good, all things wonderful took place when Lazarus went into the bosom of Abraham. But the rich man died also. We see that the, the, the rich and the poor die. Death knows no distinction uh, of, of what our financial status here is on earth. Finances and money and status make all kinds of distinctions in our minds as human beings... And whether we're believers or not, we still know there are rich people, the rich and the famous, and all that's in the media and before us every day. And whether you like it or not, there are status, uh, status given. You hear about somebody who wins a you know, $500 million lottery and all kinds of things, and the richest people, Forbes, richest people, and all those kinds of things. But the Bible says the rich man also died. His wealth did not preclude him For this event that will take place to everyone under the sound of my voice. But I have to make a correction there because as we study death and the soul not everyone will die. The Bible teaches and I'm getting ahead of myself there will be some alive at the coming again of our Lord who will not die. They will be translated but I digress. I get ahead of myself. The rich man also died. There's so much in that that we could emphasize. He, he died as well as the poor and was buried. You see the difference of how the Lord even describes the death of these two people. The, the poor, leprous Lazarus who had to beg for his food. His, his standing in heaven did not uh, necessarily change his status on earth. He was a citizen of heaven, but it didn't look like much down here on earth. You can't tell uh, what a person's status is in heaven by their, their clothes or their address or their circumstances here on earth. He, the rich man also died and was buried. How blunt that is. He was buried. Now, there are those who have a, a thought and even those professing believers, although I don't know what they do at this section of the scripture. There are some people who just... They take scissors and cut out parts of the Bible they don't want to deal with. There is, again, a resurgence of of theory or teaching among some professing believers. Uh, a book was released just in the last few years by a well-known a preacher that he's decided with all of his uh, great wisdom that there is no hell. Well, that's nothing new. People have said there was no hell since the, since the Garden of Eden. Isn't that what the devil whispered to Eve, You're not going to die. What is that? I mean... Are you sure? Well, he questioned all of that. And so that, that theory that there's no death or hell uh, it, it con- conti- continually crops up. But the Bible says here he, bear, he was buried. But that's not the end of it. And in hell, he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar. And he cried and, and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus. Go on in that record there, and I just use this as a springboard for many verses I want us to look at briefly tonight, that the the fact of death, the great leveler of death to the rich and the poor, no matter what our standing here is in this life, and the power of the word of God. Because when this man makes a request that, that God would send visitation people from the church to his brother's house to warn them not to make the same mistake, and I precluded this all with saying both these men were Jews. We know that they were because what did the Lord... Uh, what did what did Abraham say to him when he asked for some visitation people from the church to go see his, his brothers? And I'm being facetious there, but that's about the same thing. Send somebody to witness to my brothers so they won't come here. What was the Lord's response? What was the response to that request to send someone from the dead because... He, he felt if there was something fantastic like a, a resurrected person from hell, from the dead, from heaven, Abraham or someone would come back to life and knock on their door and talk to them, that surely they would be convinced and, and be converted. But the Bible says, Abraham saith unto him, they have Moses and the prophets. What is, what is that? That's the Pentateuch. That's the first five books. Of the, and the, in, in fact, they had the prophets, not just the, the first five books of the Bible, but the, they had the Old Testament, They've got and that was all the word of God that was recorded up to this point, except the word that Jesus was speaking at, at, which would become the scripture as well. They have the Bible. Let them hear them. Let them go to the synagogue and hear the scriptures read that talk read that talk about salvation and the soul and eternity. Because as I read this just a moment ago at the beginning of the service, it is the incorruptible seed of the word of God that brings about the regeneration of the heart which leads to salvation. We're redeemed not with corruptible seed, but by incorruptible, the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. Let them not go and hear of someone resurrected from the dead in some circus sideshow event that that people would draw attention to and say, now there, you can believe that. This is somebody who's come back from the dead and they're telling you about it. You better go hear them. You better listen to what they have to say. Abraham said, they have the Bible. What greater witness can they have? These men knew the scriptures. This rich man was steeped in the scriptures. Great portions of the word of God. They have Moses and the prophet. Let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they would repent. You see, he's still saying they need something else, something spectacular, something stupendous, some sign, some wonder. He wanted to add something besides the word of God, something fantastic. And he said to them, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded though one rose from the dead. Acts 13, verse 36 says, For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep and was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption. And in other words, the process that begins, is, as we've read in Genesis three nineteen the, the rotting, decaying process of the body. The body will return to dust from which God created it. David fell and saw corruption, but he whom God raised again, referring to the Lord Jesus Christ, saw no corruption Ecclesiastes twelve seven. Then shall the, the dust return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit shall return unto God who gave it. Luke 23, verse 43, To the thief on the cross our Lord said very directly, very plainly, Today, not in a few years or after they burn enough candles or pray enough prayers or uh, do some things on your behalf, Today this believing man who repented even as he was dying on the cross next to Jesus, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. What a guarantee. One of the most glorious verses in all the scripture, the words. If that does not give hope to someone, I was summoned to the bedside of a dying man one day who had, who had ALS and uh, Lou Gehrig's disease, and he could just barely communicate. And the family had asked me to go talk with him. And this man was uh, really didn't care much about... The things of the lord and he had the opinion that things were just really too late and i I, I, often in that case you feel so helpless what do you say and it's always again the scripture is the only thing that speaks it's the only thing that you know your persuasions your and so i began to relate to him the story of the thief on the cross and that is the last moments of his life he called in faith upon the lord and that glorious promise that god gave him today Thou shalt be with me in paradise. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the apostle Paul lays it out so clear. We know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, and it will be, the body decays after death. We have a building of God, another body. He uses the building uh, picture to describe the, the, the body. We have another body, another building, a house Not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this body we groan, some of us more than others, don't we? Some days more than others. My wife can always say, I know it's the weather, the clouds, the the front is coming and the bones creak. For in this body we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. The closer you get to to, uh, eternity, the, the more you desire a body that will do what it's supposed to do. If so be that, being clothed, we shall not be found naked. In other words, the soul which resides in a house, this body or the body to come, will not be naked. Now, there's there some dispute about what happens to the soul after death. What kind of body does it have? And, and the Bible does not answer all of our curiosities. Yes, it does say to be absent from the body. And he goes on to say, in verse 7, we walk by faith. Not by sight. We're confident. In verse eight, I say, and willing rather to be absent from this earthly body and to be present with the Lord. But in, in, in immediately, if, if you were to go home to, as a believer to be with the Lord tonight, what would the soul look like? What kind of body would it have? Because we know that the resurrected body takes place at the resurrection. I'm not trying to dissect hairs here tonight, but. The new body, the glorified body, will be given at at the resurrection. We know that portion of Scripture that at the trump, the last trump, the trumpet will sound, the dead in Christ shall rise first, and those which are alive and remain shall be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. He brings the the departed souls who've gone on to be with the Lord from from Adam until the last soul that that died before, before the Lord came back again. Their souls come with them, and their bodies will be resurrected and rejoined with them. And so, in my understanding of the Scriptures, it is erroneous to say that a believer who dies at this point automatically gets their glorified body. I think that is at a future time. But we know that the soul is real. It's more real than, than this body that you see. This body is only animated by the soul that's in it, like this coat. If I, if I take it off, it's lifeless. It's, it's nothing. That's a picture of our body. The soul lives in this tent and uh, it, when it's released, it goes to be with God. And, and the Bible doesn't tell us. There are great mysteries. We don't know exactly at the, the present state of the saved. We know that they're real. They think. They worship. They interact. They, they know even as they're known. But to what capacity? The, the, the Bible does not fully explain that, awaiting that glorified body. Paul says in Philippians one i I'm in a straight, I'm in a narrow place. I'm between, we'd say in the south, between a rock and a hard place. Having a desire to depart, he said, I would just soon go home. And some of our senior saints are in that, that I talk to them and they say, Pre- Preacher, I'm ready to go. I'd just as soon go on home to be with the Lord. But, and you know what they usually say? I have a, a grandson. I desperately want to see saved. And I have some things I want to do for the Lord. And I, I have, I'd like to go home to be with the Lord, but... To be with Christ, a desire to depart, to be with Christ, which is far better. Hebrews twelve twenty three to the general assembly and church of the firstborn. I saw a church that had, that was the name of the church one time. It was the longest name of a church you've ever seen. To the general assembly and the church of the firstborn. It, that tells us who he's addressing there. To all the saved, which are written in heaven, and to the God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. Whatever that means, that's what happens. The spirits of those who are justified now, their spirits are made perfect. Death occurs when God separates the soul from the body. If you had to have one verse that gives the, the Bible definition of death, and there are many, but a succinct one is found in James 2, verse 26. And it's good to know these things because sometimes at work or at school or people you'll talk about and you're witnessing and uh, you hear all kinds of fantastic stories about people who go to heaven and come back, and and, all, and so forth. Were they dead? Did they die, or what? What? What is that? The Bible tells us here what the definition of death is. James two verse twenty six. For as the body, without the spirit, or the soul, is dead. And then he goes on to give a comparison. So faith without works is dead. So the, the, the definition, the clearest, most succinct definition of death is the spirit removed from the body, separated from the body eternally until the Lord resurrects that body. There is also the death of the soul, a spiritual deadness that the effect of Adam's sin causes a death of the soul so that men are born Dead spiritually. They have a soul, but they're dead spiritually. That's why the Bible describes our lost condition as so helpless, so utterly helpless and hopeless. Why? Because the the most graphic description of a lost person is found where the Bible says we are dead in trespasses and sins. A dead person can do nothing about their condition. A fly can light on their face. They can't, they can't swat at it. You can insult a, a corpse and say all kinds of things to it. A, a body is dead. It cannot reply. It cannot do anything in response. That's the soul is dead in trespasses and sins. It cannot resurrect itself without a, a divine miracle any more than a, than a body can resurrect itself without a divine miracle of interaction of the spirit of God. Dead is dead. And it's no mistake that the Lord when he describes conversion, salvation, what picture does he use to Nicodemus that describes the conversion process? It is the same of conception that leads to a, a, the birth of a human soul. In fact, he says you must be born again. And of course, this theology, this doctor of theology scratched his head and looked at the Lord like, What are you talking about? How how could I Enter my mother's womb and be born again. But over and over again we hear that and we read it tonight, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. The whole picture of conversion is the, 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 the a parallel of it is the conception and birth of us humanly, that takes place spiritually. The soul is dead and trespasses and sin. but don't make no mistake about it. The soul does not cease to be because it is dead. So we, we look at it clearly from a human perspective in death as we know it. There is a spiritual death that does not mean that that soul ceases to be, but that soul is dead to God. It's dead to the love and mercy of God, and to the salvation that, that God offers, this redemption. Adam and Eve died spiritually when they, when they died. You might say that, and Satan never plays fair, does he? When he came to Eve and said, Oh, ahead, the fruit of the tree, you're not going to die. You shall not surely die. He was speaking, and, and, and rightfully so, he was trying to trick Eve, and he did, didn't he? The scripture says she was beguiled. Adam was not, but Eve was, into thinking that he meant solely physical death, which, by the way, she didn't even know what that was, did she? Really? I mean, she'd never seen an animal die. Not, a, not anything. There was no such thing as death. And so he, he never plays fair. He never tells us the whole truth. But Satan was thinking or, or picturing the body dying. You shall not surely die. Just eat and see. And so she did and she didn't, did she? She did not literally lay down and choke and die at that point. But she did die, didn't she? she her soul died to the Lord. She was dead spiritually. It didn't mean she didn't have a soul anymore, but her soul was alienated from God. And, and that soul uh, caused she and Adam to hide and to be fearful of the Lord. All those things that had never been taken place before. Only those who God translates shall uh, to, to heaven do not die. And there's a very handful of people that we know of that fit into that category. Uh, we can name them. Uh, Enoch was one hebrews 11 verse 5 tells us that he was translated uh, that he should not see death and, and we use the term and although it's not in the bible we should probably use the, the term the translation of the saints instead of the rapture of the saints the word rapture is a latin word from rapio which means to snatch away or to move physically from one place to another and so that's what enoch was raptured wasn't he he was translated he was taken from here to there By an unusual means, he did not go by way of the grave. Now, we know that there must have been some miraculous change that took place in Enoch's physical body for him to live in a heavenly place. Again, the Bible doesn't answer all of our curiosities. when, When God makes a statement, he just says things happen, doesn't he? We said God spoke and there was light. It doesn't give us a whole, much, a whole lot of detail about what, where the light came, how that happened. When he said, let there be water and the light, and let the, the whole creation of all things that we know is given in just a handful of verses. And so God does not tell us what happened to Enoch in, in great detail. I don't think we'd fully understand it if he did. I mean, if he went into much greater detail, these finite minds probably couldn't process that information. But it does tell us that Enoch did not see death. That he was translated. He was taken by the Lord uh, supernaturally, miraculously from this earth to the next. There's another person. Uh, This is a small fraternity of those who did not see death. Is Elijah. In 2 Kings 2 verse 11. He went up by whirlwind into heaven. But Pastor Lamb, what is that? I don't know. Elijah went up by whirlwind into heaven. He left this earth without dying and right into the presence of the Lord. Now... That's the two people that we know of on earth. And, and I, if there were any more, I'm sure the scripture would tell us because it's such a unique thing. The Bible says, The soul that sinneth it shall die. The wages of sin is death. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every one will die. Except there is an exception clause there. And I've already alluded to it there in First Thessalonians 4 verse 17. We that are alive, Paul says, and are left, shall together with them be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51. If you turn that portion of Scripture, one of the most important chapters in all the Bible is 1 Corinthians 15. The Corinthians had all kinds of questions about the resurrection, about what would take place, about how this body would be reconstituted, the dead dead in Christ. And he answers it in in verse 35. He, he, He says, First Corinthians 15, some man will say, and Paul is the great theologian and lawyer, he gives all, uh, he, he answers questions that he knows people will have. He does it in Romans chapter 6, he answers a question, he said, what shall we say then, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? he begins to answer a question that obviously he knows they're raising. And he says, somebody's going to say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Thou fool, and that's not very complimentary, is it? <laughs> I mean, you know, that's not a good method of Bible teaching, Paul, just to tell people they're fools like that. You ought to have gone to seminary and know how to handle people a little bit better than that. But but Paul is being very blunt about this This teaching. Thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened except it die. If you've got, if we've got any farmers in here, if you, you, you don't, reap a crop of something until you plant seeds in the ground and that seed dies and in a miraculous way gives birth, life, and comes up. Seeds die in the ground and come up There's something different. And he said, you ought to know that. This was an agri- agrarian culture. They all planted something and they knew exactly what he was talking about. Then that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that it shall But You don't put an apple in the ground. You don't bury an apple. I guess you could, but that's not what you... You bury, you bury the seed, don't you? You don't bury a banana or a, water, a whole watermelon. Can you imagine planting a garden that way? Um, I made my wife an herb garden, and, and something has come up in it. I don't know what it is. It's not what I planted. And I think it's a squash or some kind of melon from an ancient garden of some other time. She looked out of there the other day and she said, what is that? You can't see the the beautiful herbs that were so gloriously marked, you know, and so carefully done. This, This thing, it's some kind of, I think it's squash is what I think it is. You can see how little I know about these matters. But it's taken over the whole herb garden. So instead of an herb garden, we have a squash or a melon garden. But I know this, we didn't plant a whole squash in the ground. You don't plant, but you plant a seed. You see what Paul is saying? What it's going to be is not what you put in the ground. You don't you don't look at a squash seed unless you I mean unless you're a seasoned farmer and say and know what it's going to look like. Seeds there's some seeds that all look very similar. And he says that which thou sowest thou sowest not that body that it shall be. You don't plant in the ground the glorified body, but bear grain. It may chance of wheat or of some other grain. But God giveth it a body as it hath pleased Him. Into every seed His own body. And he goes on to describe it. All flesh is not the same flesh and all all of that. Then he comes down to verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood, these bodies that we now have, can't live in heaven. So that's why I said something had to happen to Enoch and Elijah. A miracle had to take place for them to be able to live in heaven because what does he say here? Flesh and blood. This flesh and blood that we now have cannot enter into heaven. So all we can say that they experienced a pre- glorified body experience you know their bodies were had to be glorified for them to be able to live in heaven even as our lord uh, went into heaven in his resurrected body this i say brethren that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven there's there's a, a miraculous event that must take place your soul as it is now cannot enter into heaven unless a miracle takes place and it's born again And this body is not ready to live in heaven unless a miracle takes place with it. Flesh and blood cannot enter into the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. You see, these bodies are rotting. They're decaying. You don't believe that? Just go get your senior picture and hold it up beside you, look in the mirror, and see if it looks the same. There's not anybody in here except those who graduated in May that their senior picture looks just like what they look like now. I have a picture on my credenza in there of Kathy and me. We'd been here this 35 years ago. We'd been here just about a month or two. And I had hair, and it was a different color, and uh, no glasses. And you, but most of you would not be able to tell that was me. In fact, a dear lady the other day said, who is that with? That's Kathy. I can tell that's Kathy. But who is that with? She was honestly sincere. I, I, I wanted to cry. And I said, <laughs> I looked at her and I said, do you not see any resemblance? Honestly, this this dear lady. She says, is that her brother? Is that one of her? I said, no, that, that's me. Oh, preacher, I'm so sorry. You know, It's nothing to apologize. This is me. This is what's happened. I, I'm decaying. It's corruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We're going to, to leave it with this and pick up our discussion. This is not something you can deal with on one Sunday night, as you can see. But it's vitally important, is it not? This is the hope, the blessed hope. Behold, I'll show you a mystery. This is a mystery. Do you know that these spiritual truths are mysterious? In that, we do not fully know every minute detail of how it's going to take place. Those secret things belong to the Lord. But the things that we do know that he has revealed to us are ours. What is ours? This mystery that we shall not all sleep. And and Paul, so... Expected the immediate return of the Lord, he did not consider himself to be in that congregation of those who would die and go to heaven. I love that, don't you? Paul was a premillennialist, I believe. He said, we're not not all going to sleep, but he thought he was going to be in the part that was snatched away, the raptured away, the translated away. We shall not all sleep, but we, this is the guarantee, we're not all going to die, now, there, not every believer will die, but every believer will what? Will be changed. That's a resurrected, uh, however you want to describe it, a glorification process that takes place that's just as miraculous as the conversion process was. It takes a miracle for a baby to be born. And we're on watch here just waiting for twins to be born any second. Uh, charity's due date was saturday isn't that amazing with twins that she's usually already had them by now but they're they're, they're bound to be lambs they are the sniders they do it their own way they're going to come when they want to it's a miracle when babies are born aren't they the whole process is an absolute miracle from the lord in fact the scripture tells us the lord opens and closes the womb, doesn't he we shall not all die physical death but we shall all be changed and then he goes on to give us just enough information to make it exciting. In a moment, in a nanosecond. You know how, much, how long it is? It's really short. I can't describe to you a <laughs> nanosecond, but that's my, my, my knowledge of it. It's, it's, very, it's, it's unbelievably quick. The twinkling of an eye. How can you define a time of twinkle? <laughs> what is a twinkle of an eye? I think I've seen it a time or two. At the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and I believe that is the the picture of the old shofar, a Hebrew trumpet, but actually, uh, child of God, I believe it will be the very voice of our Savior, the voice we cannot resist. That heralding sound of the Savior's voice, and there's not a person in any grave, I don't care how thick. Do you know that Abraham Lincoln's body was stolen two or three times after his death? And finally, the dear folks of Springfield buried him under about a ton of concrete because people kept stealing his body. I know that's weird and warped and everything else, but that's what happened. And they made it where it's in concrete and steel and everything else below this big thing. If Abraham Lincoln knows the Lord, and I don't, I don't know what his spiritual standing was, you can read all kinds of books that say, well, that's not the point. My point is that there's no body so buried that, that, that it will not hear the voice of the Savior. Those lost at sea, those burned, those cremated, those whatever. The Creator God will speak, and those bodies will raise how? Incorruptible, incapable of rotting. Lazarus, when Jesus went to his tomb, spoke, and he, his sister said, Oh, dear Savior, you've waited. It's too long. You've, you've delayed your coming. And What did she say? It was, it was a very graphic thing that she said about her brother. Even with their preparation and their embalming, she said, Behold, he, he stinks. He's already rotting. Someone said it, the reason that Jesus used Lazarus' name, he was so powerful. If he had not, all the folks would have raised from the dead. Lazarus, come forth. Raised incorruptible. What did Jesus say? Loose him. Take all those swabs of linen away from him. He doesn't need them anymore. This corruptible must put on incorruption why, to live in the eternal state. And by the way, we're not gonna be floating around on clouds strumming harps. No no offense, Miss Davis. <laughs> She's a harpist and first rate harpist, and we need to we need to have her pray here soon. I'm sorry, I should have or violins or pianos or organs or anything else. You know the that that the parody that people give about heaven, like Casper the Friendly Ghost, floating around on a cloud, just that kind of thing. No, the Bible tells us, and we'll, we'll look at it more in more detail, there's a new heaven and a new earth, a literal place with a body we will eat, and we will be yeah. able to be transported from the new heaven to the new earth at thought, like our Lord when he would just enter into a room of his disciples behind the doors that were locked. These real bodies yet are, have capacities that we cannot even fathom. This corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. What are we to do with this? Brother Lamb? you've talked about all these things that can be, will be, one day happen. And I have not scratched the surface. What are we as believers to do with this information? We're to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. What is the work of the Lord? It's getting the gospel to every creature. That's what our business is about. Abounding in the What is the gospel? You're going to die. Is appointed a man once to die, and after this the judgment, and only those who are in Christ will, will be saved. We we read that graphic portion of Scripture that I didn't write, but the Lord Jesus Christ Himself said about two men who died and one went to hell and one went to, to heaven. It's just as simple as that. We're to warn all men that death is coming, hell is moving, opening its mouth to receive those who are not saved. But there is mercy and grace in the Lord. And we're to take great comfort that we're to be steadfast, unmovable in what? This persuasion, this gospel, which was once delivered to the saints and to give it to every man, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Brother Harris, those years of sowing is not in vain. Someone I mentioned in Sunday school Mentioned why would you go to all that trouble to pay for 40,000 gospel of John's to send out to people's you know you always have some smart aleck about no matter what you do you're trying to get out the gospel Somebody else said well I just believe they'll throw it away and put it in the garbage can and I read this morning a while back from a, a man who said I'm in sale he gave me the sale block he wrote me a letter and told me that he would found a gospel of John that we had sent out in the garbage can and read it so that's my answer to those of you who say well, what if they throw it in the garbage can they may do that but the sovereignty of god the providence of god can have somebody else come along and say what is that Amen. it is the word of god which liveth and abideth forever my case is arrested let us pray gracious heavenly father we thank you for your mercy and your grace and for these precious doctrines lord these things we believe and hold dear this is not fairy tale This is the eternal word of God. And I pray that you'd speak to every heart, O Lord, of this important matter. We thank you that our Savior lived and died, lived a sinless life and died in our place for our salvation. May we, as soldiers of the cross, take this message to everyone that we possibly can. Thank you that there is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun and a reward awaiting for those in your Mysterious mercy and grace you've promised to those who believe. In Jesus' name.